invested. I remember one time doing an uh-oh at 275, and I had to have a conversation with the battalion CSM, and he was like, you know, I'm disappointed. Just, oh. I'd rather been punched in the face, man. I mean, I, you know, to the point of it was like, wow, man. And I walked away just, you know, my head dragging. And uh, um, because nobody wanted to let this guy down. Well, how do you become that guy or gal? How do you become that leader organization? Uh, 322. We're throwing fire. We're Imagine if every moment of every day was unscheduled, unknown, and uncertain. Where you had to choose between your life and the life of another. Where you were deployed somewhere in the world to face an unknown threat and an unseen enemy. This is the podcast designed to serve those who serve us. So join me as we unpack and uncover why we do what we do when we do it from life's most extreme moments. I'm your host, Jeff Fanman, and this is Mindset Radio. All right, welcome back to Mindset Radio. And if this is your first time joining us, thanks so much. Today is going to be a good day. I have with me Command Sergeant Major Christopher Greca, retired U.S. Army, 31 years of service. And the conversation today is a great reflection of that time spent. Lessons learned, real, raw, and authentic. So we're going to get in it. Listen all the way through to this conversation today. Believe me, you're not going to want to miss it. Now, we, we probably were close to each other over in, in Iraq. That's the assumption. Um, I was in East Baghdad, 0709. Okay. And there was an airfield out there near Rustamaya that a bunch of secret folks were all sorts of using. I used to go out there and shoot handgun competitions against some three-letter agency dudes. Yeah. And I sucked, by the way. So <laughs> I, I had no business being out there, but a great friend uh, who was our DCO at the time was all into it. So anyway. Yeah, no, we had, uh, I, I did a lot of work at Fernandez is kind of where we based operations out of, um, yeah. you know, just there. Uh, and then, you know, we just lived at the villa down right next to the embassy in Baghdad. Uh, so yeah, it was a, it was an interesting yeah. time. Yeah, absolutely. I used to run in and out of the, the green zone for our casualties. We were right next to Sodder City. So, yep. you know, the 08, March 08 uprising when uh, J. Sal Mahdi, you know, yep. it's time, time to get their war on. Dude, it was like a scene out of the Warriors, man. That yeah. streets barren, tires burn, and it was like, shit, man. Karada and Rasafa used to be some pretty lively places and even New Baghdad. Um and dude, they went to shit for about the next, I'd assume, two months. And then we kept taking those improvised rocket-assisted mortars, munitions, whatever. Yeah. Um, and, uh, unfortunately, those little lob bombs cost cost the lives of several. I was predominantly the brigade was out of fob loyalty. So anyway. Yeah. No, we had them. You know, they they'd pull up because the villa sat right on you know right across the river, and we had these two freaking palm trees they wouldn't cut down. Basically, where they were goalposts, you know, and they'd yeah, pull up. Yeah, they'd pull up, you know, pull pull the pull, pull the tube up between their legs, fire the rockets in, uh, yeah, you know, or lob the mortars in. We were sitting at the bar outside one night, and I heard them come out of the tube, and I looked at everybody and said, "Well, 
grab your drinks. And they were like, yeah. why, why, what's that? Because <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. we're, we're going to have incoming in about 32 seconds. So yeah, yeah, time, yeah. Time of flight. Yeah. Time of flight minus, you know, whatever, man. Yeah, so, I was sitting there with a bunch of analysts and somebody else and a couple other people, you know, had no exposure to any of that. And, you know, you just heard them, heard them come out of the tubes. You know, we worked up at, you know, when I left, um, I left on bad terms. And frankly, it's going to be in my book about and some of those other yeah. idiots. Uh, yes. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. I mean, they, all they knew how to do was, was yell at people and it was never productive, man. I That's mean, why I got I, out. It's, it's why yeah. I got out. It, it was why I made that tough choice. It was a tough choice. And I just was like, this, if this is a leadership... Yeah, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't want to be yeah. around it. Yeah, yeah. And supposedly the senior enlisted role models for because vision CSM. Yep. Uh, how tragic. So when I was in one seven five as a first sergeant, I ran into that idiot over in France. And listen, man, I, I I'm about being professional, and you don't need to to be unprofessional with anybody yeah. unless you need it. Man, that dude went up you know, one side of me out at the EIB site because I said, hey, the conditions can't cause the no-go. And the NCOIC agreed because the the pivot pin, it was one of our guys in third platoon um, that was true blue. And he failed the road march because of the assembly and disassembly on the far end. Um, oh. And I, the takedown pin wouldn't come out of the weapon. So, you know, we failed PCS, PCCs, whatever. Yeah. Um, and the NCOIC says, absolutely, give them a different rifle and, you know, we'll do it again. Overheard that conversation. He says, give me a give me a pin. And brother, he's jamming away trying to get this takedown pin to come out. And he can't get it to come out. Oh. And he slams the rifle back at the NCOIC and he goes, I don't give a shit if the rifle doesn't work he's a no-go and either he can road march to re-road march tomorrow morning or he's not getting his eib and i looked at this ncoic and we were both just startled man i was wow. like, i was like fucking really and unfortunately jeff i you know i could share vignettes because i you know through my lens of kind of where i was at and where i was going um, you know, I always thought I was the principal trainer of individual and small unit collective task. And in the 82nd, it was about shaking people upside down to join the 82nd Association, AUSA. Yep. Don't don't park in the B lane. Uh, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like, man, really? Yeah. That, that's the contribution that we're supposed to provide. And certainly, listen, man, I know it's not across the division. I, I got that. Totally. So I'm not trying to stereotype the entire organization, but uh, Sergeant Major and Colonel General, um, they sucked. Yeah. So anyway, man. Is he general now? He was a general. When I got wow. when I got blown up, I got hit by an SVB IED in uh March, May 18th, 2010 in Kabul. It killed all six lead occupants. This is when I was the division CSM at 10th Mountain. Mm -hmm. I had my bell all rung and my buddy was working for Lieutenant General Rodriguez. He's my closest army and personal friend, Darren Bond. Uh, and we went into this meeting. He was trying to keep me awake because I was concussed a little yeah. bit. And no shit, Jeff, the first 
pardon my language, fucker I see walk into that little conference room was Brigadier General. Oh, my God. It's like, oh, my God, man. Because all I remember him doing, I don't know if you remember when we supported Robin Sage, but we came back from Robin Sage and uh, the SF exercise uh, as Op 4 and just – all he did was threaten, you know, had a little formation because we missed his change of command. And it was like, if you get a DUI, I'll burn you. And if you do this, I'll burn you. And I'm like, dude, is that how you inspire people, man? Um, because this threatening tone, I mean, it's a technique, but yeah. frankly, it works like shit. Man. Yeah, I, I, 100%. I told a young guy, in the, and I, I think I talked about I, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Tulin. I don't know if you know Paul or not. He's now the chief of ops at First Special Forces Group. You know, Paul's kind of like, Paul's your old school rooted, like, SF guy. I love him. Uh, just yeah. such, a, such a neat guy. Got a chance to, a couple years ago, I don't know, probably been five or six years ago, General Cleveland invited me to be a leadership mentor on his Young Lions program. So I went back yeah. once a quarter to brag for, you know, his cycle of, of, yeah. of groups. Did yeah. that for about three years. Gave a talk at USASOC Talks. Really got to know Paul well. Um, and we were just talking about that. I mean, I had a young captain one time in the firehouse because I totally fucked it up when I came out. You know what I mean? I, I yeah. was hard yeah. charging if you're not 10 minutes early you're 15 minutes late what the fuck's your problem yeah. kind of deal wore yeah. the shit out of my people and after i learned my lesson you know i had a young captain you know come up and be like how do i do this and i said well go home tonight write down everything you can do to lead by fear or discipline or by regulation write it all down i said yeah. then take it outside and burn it yeah. then figure yeah. out how you're going to lead your people well, you know, I, I often say, and you certainly know this as well, so those shitty role models we had, right? Yeah. We probably learned as much from them as we did the good ones totally. in, terms of, in terms of what not to do. Yeah. So, you know, you look around and you go, you promise yourself. So, you know, when I left the 82nd and I went to Korea as a first sergeant in the joint security area, I promised I would never do that shit. So when I became a CSM, it was all about influence, right? Yep. And the ability to talk to a commander at the battalion, then the brigade, then the post, then the division, and blah, 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 and say, uh, sir, this is fucking stupid. To include the chief of staff of the Army. I mean, when I became a senior dude at the Combined Arms Center and then uh, both Forcecom and then CENTCOM, I mean, I, you know, I was on the board of directors or the senior enlisted council now with the sergeant major of the army. Yeah. And said we would vote on shit, and that vote would always be seven to one. <laughs> SMA, the SMA would come back in and go, "What's the problem, Chris?" I was like, "We're being fucking stupid, man." And and frankly, this younger population is going to think they're being led by a bunch of idiots. Because we're debating shit like, hey, what's the size of your tattoo? It can be no longer bigger than the palm of your hand. What the fuck does anatomy have to do with any of this? Yeah, no, I I, I completely agree with you. I mean, I remember in Kosovo, and I mean, not that, you know, you got to think, Chris, for me, I struggle with some leadership aspects because by the time I even joined the Army, yeah, I had already I, had four years in the fire service. You know, so I kind of, I at least knew what I was capable of in a moment in time. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, I remember fucking dealing with, what was his name, Sergeant? Yes, yeah, yeah. I what could have kicked the shit out of that guy in Kosovo. He, 
you know, these young guys, these guys, these, what really bothered me, I think what really made the determination for me is in a combat environment yeah. and I'm watching these E5, E6s and E7s who have never been exposed to anything, never done anything besides just be in the army, which, you know, nothing wrong with that. Right. But only, yeah. only training yeah. up to that point in time. And yeah. watching the decision cycle they were making and how they were going about stuff, it was all about what they needed to do to get their next promotion. And I just, I just Absolutely. quietly said, no, thank you. You know, I you, just, well, and, I, and I don't blame you. And that's, that's unfortunate yeah. because you got pushed out of not pushed out, but you decided not to stay with the team because you were exposed to shitty people. Yeah. We're on the same token. If you would have went over uh, to the SF community, the Ranger community, yep. what one of those communities, I promise you, brother, you'd still be. In. Oh, I, I know. I, you know, I mean, they gave me just so you know, I mean, like they laid because they were pushing. I had I had two year stabilization as a door gunner for 160th. So I probably would have been a yep. door gunner going into Afghanistan. Uh, which would have given me time to rest, get refitted. Because right. you know, I picked That's up. I picked up Sears when I went to Scout Platoon. I picked up Sears School. I picked up Sodic. Uh, I mean, that's was Rob, was Rob Wright your platoon sergeant? Why do I know that name? He was not. We had he he was he was the second platoon sergeant in Bravo Company Third of the O Five, and then he went over to the Scout Platoon. Uh, may have been like right then. We had we had numb nuts. We had I can't remember some. Turd, I got turd bag for a little bit. I can't remember right now. Do, do you know? Do, do you know that honestly, yourself and Whittington were probably the best. So, so and there was a little short Sarney five, little Hispanic guy. Yes. He was Barney Rubble size. Yes. But just solid dudes, man. And frankly, when I got to that platoon, Jeff, it was fucked I, up, dude. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I could. I was. I, Chris, I can still remember standing. I still remember that day. I don't know why, but I yeah. remember that day standing at the rear of the formation, you at the front of the formation, because I didn't have anywhere to fall in because, you know, it was like first yeah. day. And yeah. I can still remember the look on your face. Dude, it was looking at that the, platoon going. Do, do you know? OK, so I J, me and J.P. McGee are big buds, right? He's a dick to people, but I knew him from 275. Hence the reason why I came to third of the 05 Bravo company, yeah. because he said, hey, Chris, I got this platoon and they fucking suck. I mean, the worst platoon in the army. And I was like, OK, cool. And I would just wait for DRF one and I would. Uh, tell the CQ, hey, watch for these fuckers walking by with alcohol, man, and wait, give me about an hour or two, and then fucking, you know, we would do a little bit. That's how I got rid of all those guys. Yeah. I essentially used CMJ to man out of the fucking army. So, I mean, and I hate to no, feel yeah, that. No, yeah, I'm with you. But you deserved better. Whittington deserved better. Yeah. They, you know, the, the parents, you know, this idea of trust and the American people giving up their sons and daughters uh, to the profession of arms. Let, let me tell you something, man. I absolutely refuse to let people be piss poorly led um, when, frankly, you got young servicemen and women who have barely been in the army who are smarter than their fucking leaders. Um, now, certainly they don't have 
the repetitions and we got to be careful with that but it was just it was in for for being in the 90s jeff it was so disgruntling and or so disheartening excuse me well it really was yeah. even you know i talked to greg craddock all the time who owns pgi you know he was a team leader yeah. in third battalion with you know down there with me served with me in third battalion we've become really good friends over the years you know, we even look at like back at regiment at that time. I mean, it was like regiment had the highest failure rate in ranger school. Uh, yeah. You know, it just it was a, it was an odd time. And, but I got to tell you, I don't I, some days I wish I had stayed. But the opportunity for me, my personality, the opportunities that I had at the agency, uh, man, it was home oh, for okay. me. I loved it. I, yeah. Yeah. Brother, I. Listen, man, I completely acknowledge and understand, and, and you made the correct move. I mean, discussing what you did uh, since 9-11, that's some powerful stuff, brother, and that's making a difference. And, and frankly, this whole profession of arms is uh, the combined team, and that combined team includes our civilians. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's interagency, intergovernmental. It's clearly multinational um, and joint, but we couldn't do it without our civilian partners. I had a good friend, Rob Arndt, who got, fuck, he retired on 20, you know, 20 years to the day as a sergeant major. Yeah. He could have been, fuck, sergeant major of the Army, but Rob got out because he liked to do some things in his personal life and needed about six months of the year off so he could go hunt and kill shit. Right. And, and, you know, I ran into him in Iraq with a big beard, and you know, he flew in just to see me to loyalty, and uh, we yucked it up for a little while. And uh, so, anyway, yeah. Hey, hey, you came from one seven five, third seven three seven five. I came from the Alpha Company. I, yeah, I remember now. Yeah, I mean, I struggled I, in battalion. I and I talked. I when I gave my talk at Usasak, we were talking about authenticity, and I looked at everybody and said. I said, you want it from real authenticity? Range training sucked for me. Like, it was a yeah, grind well, every day. Uh, well, it was a little secret for you, Jeff, it was a grind for everybody. Yeah, well, yeah, not, I, I had seven not, guys. I had seven guys stereo scrolled, like, three rows up, all from battalion. And they're yeah. all, like, nodding at me, like, thanks well, well, for saying that. Dude, I, I, you know, listen, man, until you're a non-commissioned officer and then even a little bit with, I mean, definitely until you get that Ranger tab. Yep. Uh, listen, man, we used to disappear on the weekend just because, and I know it was the same way in the mid-90s, hazing was in effect, right? So for no reason, it was like, and I got it if there was a task and purpose behind it, dude. Sure. But it was task and purpose. And, and frankly, I, I got to share this story real quick. I had a kid that, that worked for me when I was a staff sergeant out in 275, and I made him fail, right? I, I, I RFS'd him, but, but Chris Grecken never gave him the chance, right? right? So fast forward 25 years, and we connect on Facebook, you know, whatever. I send him an apologetic email for never giving him the opportunity. And I said, Jim, I'm going to tell you what, dude, it had nothing to do with you, but in a young, you know, let's call me 22, 23, whatever I was, staff sergeant's eyes, who thinks Rangers need to look a certain way or act a certain way, uh, you just didn't fit what, and that shows you my immaturity. Because when we talk about developing people, what you did at USA Sock and you know, kind of what I do with, you know, fifth principle and others, yeah. it, you know, you, you gotta, you can't do that, man. And 
honestly, I did it to him and I did it to another guy named Cyber. And I never gave those guys the opportunity to be successful. And it's kind of embarrassing to talk about, but, you know, part of it is maturity. It's like that post I've got, you know, with that female captain yeah. in and out, uh, you know, my homophobe years. This is no shit. In 1993, we had a battalion formation at Second Ranger Battalion. The battalion CSM says, and I quote, or at least it's this is a very close paraphrase. Unless you want faggots in the foxhole, you better get down there and vote. This was uh, 43's re-election bid against Clinton. Mm -hmm. And everybody thought, and dude, we were homophobes. We were, because we were ignorant, man. And I was an ignorant guy back then. And I can acknowledge that. Listen, all this shit that I used to think was important, it's just not important, man. Yeah. It's, it's, it's the standard is the only thing and capability is the only thing that's important. And the rest of this crap is all superficial bullshit, man, that we've, we've made important. So anyway, long story, uh, Ranger Regiment is hard on everybody. I went to a class with 121 and we graduated 19. Yeah. I'm telling you, dude, if they would have tried to recycle me, it wouldn't have happened. Hey, I'm just telling you yeah. right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I remember day one, you know, freaking first Sergeant Devins comes out, you know, big freaking yeah, orangutan, right. dude, you know. And <laughs> minute one, he says, whoever wants to quit, form up over there. And like, yeah. I'm I'm number two in the formation, so I can't see anything behind yeah. me, but it's like a herd of cattle going on. And I'm like, what? Yeah, we did, we, we did that up top, red square, rolling left, rolling right. And they used to play this game. Everybody shut your eyes it's okay to quit yep. you know we'll get you up here and we'll out process you it's no big deal and we rolled for about three hours and then it was because the drill was the same shut your eyes that's when we heard the first shuffling yeah. and, and, quit, and quitting is contagious right 100%. so when you quit something uh, dude it was like a car to, uh, herd of cattle and then when they got to the front of this door on this old world war ii shack up top cardiac hill the the you know pre-rate or the rip instructor says open your eyes this is what quitters look like yeah. and it was like uh there goes your hot meal and your easy exit van so yeah uh, so yeah ray symmetrical devons by the way that's what i call yeah. ray because <laughs> yeah. is a close is a close friend and when i was at centcom he was at oc at osci uh the, the office of security cooperation in iraq working with general camera and yeah. uh, he's he's a great friend he's down there teaching junior rotc down in uh, south florida yeah being a role model of those kids because like all of us uh, ray grew up a little bit too so yeah i absolutely i actually it, it's i mean i look back especially like at him and and i and i get it you know what i mean like i it that was a i really appreciate it i had some great uh rip instructors I man i started struker um who would run us into yeah. the dirt if anybody cussed yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, and, and these yeah, guys. So yeah. I, I mean, there were there were a lot of blessings that I had. And this was, and this was Struker post uh, yeah. Mogadishu, right? Right post, and, right post yeah, Mogadishu. Yeah, yep. he was when he was putting in that chaplain packet because yep. he was my neighbor in uh, on Fort Benning. I was a drill sergeant at that time, ninety three to ninety six, oh, yeah. um, over in Sand Hill. Yep. Um, boy, Struker, like many, found God yep. in that. You know, I, I know he already had it bit but like me i'm a poor catholic right right he 
Um, yeah, Struker, amazing guy, yeah. man. Yeah, you you had a heck of a crew, man. You just mentioned those guys. It's like, mm. yeah, I, but, I'm really glad and took and learned. I mean, I always say that for my time there, I learned it set it set such a foundation for me. Yeah, uh, even though it was it was there were some I got, awful things about it. it was it was really it was so worth it. Uh, yeah, yeah, but but you know what, Jeff? I would argue, knowing your capability and knowing you, that if you would have had the right leadership, um, you'd have you'd have stayed there and been successful. I I, I, I think so. I, I think I, so. Yeah. I I mean, I definitely yes. I I don't. I, do I, too. I don't disagree with that. Whatever. Whatsoever. Um, yeah, like like my friend James Looper, who I drove into the ground um, and got him to, or I. I actually LOM'd his ass or I RFS'd him, but he was done by the time. Hey, dude, it was just some stupid stuff, man. And and again, I look back and I was so apologetic. And, you know, he's such a forgiving guy. He's like, you are a great NCO. No, I wasn't, dude. Yeah. I was immature. I, I was an instructor at the Fort Benning Drill Sergeant School, and I had this guy come up to me. He was also an instructor at the Fort Benning Drill Sergeant School. So we're teaching you know, non-commissioned officers had to be drill sergeants. And he comes up to me and he goes, hey, man, I met a guy who knew you yesterday. He used to be in 275 with you. He goes, I brought up your name and this guy's face almost turned white. It goes, that dude is a straight up dick. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, Jeff, that, I mean, honestly, brother, it ain't a popularity contest, but that kind of hurt my feelings. I mean, Honestly, because I thought those young rangers knew the reason why I was, you know, being hard. It was about discipline, right? Prompt obedience to orders or, you know, not even disciplined initiative in the day where you could act. And and it was just so stupid. Um, Well, and I think there's, you know, but I think that brings it to the point, right? That's why, here's the thing. I think you had a really interesting career you know, because I've got, you know, I've got leaders out of the SEAL team community, out of the SF community, you know, but that's not representative of kind of the day in and day out life. And I feel like you've had an opportunity to grow and develop in kind of the everyday workings of the army. Right. I mean, from right. Dude, dude, I was an Abrams charter guy. And it's probably the fact that I even got invited back as an E8 since I, really didn't do platoon time there was unheard of yeah so you know and i got a phone call like brother i changed my home base assignment shit because i wasn't coming back to brag yeah (laughs) and told um but i changed it to fort campbell why because i i went aerosol whatever man you know i'd rather go because my experience was so poor um in terms of not the company commanders but, but dude i i mean i seriously could tell you horror stories most of y'all don't understand what transpired and why i left um but it literally got to the point where i told then colonel austin who became my boss general austin and uh, centcom i said i'd rather hand out basketballs at the gym than be part of this organization yeah. and that was quote dude with my wife in the room and it was like because he said you know he came out and said it's obvious that everybody's screwed you and your chain of command at the company and battalion level 
I was like, I'm glad you see it that way, sir, because it's fact. Yeah. You know, it wasn't going behind. So anyway, man, I I don't want to get stuck on this. No, but I think, it, you know, I think here's what it goes to, Chris. When we start looking at leadership, right, yeah. in a, a variety of contexts, whether it's, you know, in the firehouse or in the law enforcement world, Community. you know, yeah. yeah, it doesn't really matter, but there are. You know, I always I always refer to you as like the the NCO who always had his LBE buckled, always had his Kevlar on correctly, right? And would yeah. would rip yeah. you if you didn't, right? I mean, and, yeah. and yeah. here I am, like, where's my Kevlar? Uh, you know, and is this LBE extender okay? Uh, hey, I don't I don't think you remember when I DZSTL'd out at the uh, um, point or the big drop zone out there in. Ch- came rolling up it was like two o'clock in the morning no this was prior to when we were throwing a football and i threw everybody in patrol caps let me tell you something dude they about, re- they about relieved me i bet because east of gruber or whatever side west of gruber road yep. whatever that stupid thing about always having a helmet on yep. so when i went to the sardinati murphy board you know I, i'm like one of the first inductees when they kicked that program off and you know i think it was 97 and so I got the division sergeant major, all the brigade sergeant major, and the multifunctional brigade sergeant majors, whatever. And the division CSM says, hey, what's the one thing, you, if you were division sergeant major today, what's the one thing you would change? And I said, sergeant major, this was England. I said, I know you're going to think this sounds silly. I said, but I'd, I'd bring pride back to the organizational headgear, the beret. And you're not going to do that unless you allow the PC. I said, you know, I came from a community where you only put a beret on with a clean flash when you were in starch and shine. Because yep. everybody wears it to include the motor pool. You got berets that are absolutely disgusting and flashes that need to be DX'd, especially in 2nd Brigade where the outer rim was white. Yep. Uh, Dude, you would have thought I pissed all over their faces <laughs> when I said that. The only guy who got it was the division sergeant major, England, because he was a regiment guy. Yep. And he goes, hey, that's very interesting. But those other sergeants major that had been nowhere but Fort Bragg and specifically the 82nd, not in the SF community, brother. They didn't know. Yeah, they didn't you know. You would have seriously thought like – I was the most disrespectful airborne, you know, I thought I wasn't going to pass that. Yeah. Because probably took some debate when you left. (laughs) No, I bet you they did. I bet you they did. England actually had to, during the discussion, one of the sergeant majors actually said, that is the dumbest thing I've ever heard, blah, 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 blah. And England cut him off and said, sergeant major, I I don't think you understand what he's saying. He's, it's not that he doesn't respect the beret. Actually, what he's saying is 180 degrees yeah. in the opposite direction. He respects it so much that you ought to take care of it. Yeah, how do you elevate like, the game? I was, like, I was like, bingo. I don't think if England would have been in there, I, I I think they probably would have kicked me out right then and there. Yeah. Honestly, honestly they just launched me, man. Um, and to your point about leadership, you know, interestingly, when I was getting my undergraduate degree, I had to do 120. Yeah, I got it in criminal justice administration. And part of it was I, I had to get 120 hours in an agency, a department or whatever, whatever. So 
I knew the chief of police of the Fayetteville Police Department fairly well. I was the force comm CSM at the time. Mm-hmm. I actually took leave to do my 120 hours of not only ride-alongs, but sitting in the discussions every day. Yeah. Jeff, they lack fundamentally the idea of building teams, cohesive teams. How, how do you get men and women? How do you structure and design yourself for efficiency? How do you communicate with people? Um, it was disheartening, man. I mean, I, I rode with a kid that I absolutely respected when I would get on the road and do the ride along. Um, you know, 22 year old kid has his undergraduate degree from North Carolina State, just wishes to get into a federal agency. So he's kind of just looking for that OJT so he can put it on the resume. And dude, things he would tell me in that, you know, cruiser as we were cruising around, it was like, wow. Wow. So, yeah. Anyway. Well, I think you, you know, here's the point I like. Here's the, the kind of drawback to this. What you said in there about kind of elevating the status of the beret, right? And, yeah. and it goes back to care of equipment, neatness of dress, courtesy, yeah, well, right? It goes back to some of those yeah. core fundamental yeah. traits, you know, that, yes. that you only put your beret on when you break starch in that uniform. That's- that's right. Yeah, and and it's really no different in the firehouse or riding the streets on a, on a patrol car. Like the care of equipment and the way you present yourself goes to me directly into the attitude you carry, how you communicate with the public, and how you communicate with other you know members of your team and people around you. And there's always a time to put the boonie cap on or put the patrol cap on or you know yeah. relax it a little bit down. Right, you kind of got to ebb and flow. There's not a it's this way all the way all the time or it's this way all the time like you really have to i think that's a piece that a lot of leadership misses yeah and i and because it's right so fifth principle is obviously the fifth principle of patrolling right which is common sense so hence the name of my company is based off of some ranger principles I am a huge believer in creeds. You know, creeds are stated uh, values because, you know, initially they're just words. But if you say them enough times and you train them like neatness of dress and breaking starch and putting it on or care of equipment and, you know, cleaning your equipment when you come in, you start to live it. And, you know, it takes, listen, we're naive to believe if, if we think that, as an example, you graduate RIP or RASH now and, and they all believe in the Ranger Creed and understand all six stances, they don't. What they've done is <laughs> they've all remembered words. Yes. Right? So word memorization. <laughs> uh, I would argue that it took me, you know, two, three years maybe, man, before maybe all six stanzas. And certainly at different times at different places, I started to recognize the importance of you know, each stanza of the Ranger Creed. Um, but that four stanzas, you just said, you know, gallantly, why show the world that, you know, I am especially a well-trained soldier. Listen, that probably was the first one that hit me. Yeah. You know, so I, why, I, I don't know. Maybe it was this concept of, I always thought people saying like, well, I'm a field soldier. I always thought that was stupid. I thought it was dumb as hell. And I'd be like, listen, man, Either you're a good soldier or you ain't. I don't give a shit if you're in the field, out of the field, whatever, whatever, whatever. Don't 
try to, you know, well, he's a good field soldier. I just didn't buy it, man. So yeah, I I said I've said several times that I didn't really get the Ranger Creed until after I left regiment. Yeah, that's right. That's right. But just, but you just almost said the four stanza, and here's what I would additionally add is. Hey, it should guide your conduct not while just in uniform, by but why out of uniform, and that's kind of your point about the fire department and other things, yeah. and hence the reason why I believe in creeds, right? And because I think organizationally, I don't care where you work, the fire department and or the police department or whatever, doesn't need to be long, but if you put inside there. Uh, for lack of a better term, the commander's intent or vision of the organization and the professionalism, um, like the profession of arms, dude, eventually it's going to catch on, man. It, it might be slow, but, you know, like a ranger baton. Now, you're going to have some fat naked kids in there, which just are never going to get it. Right. But, you know, you always got the fat naked kid in every organization. Exactly. So, uh, so that's why I am such a huge fan. And one of the, you know, one of the first things I did was, you know, the fifth principles. And, you know, it was this idea of, you know, my uh, kind of, you know, or the organization's view or our mini creed, for lack of a better term, um, and just expectations in terms of character, communication, uh, being men and women um, who make ethical decisions, yep. blah, 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 blah. And again, I absolutely believed that Canon should be trained not just across Department of Defense or, or the governmental agencies, but in every organization, and it's not hard uh, to do. You just got to know the techniques to inculcate them in. And uh, so anyway, man, Jeff, I, I, you know, Chris Greck is a believer, man, and that might be my 31, 32 years in uniform. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's, you know, I think it is a, the thing about leadership for me, it's like this, what I feel like people miss is it's a persistent and always evolving conversation. Yes. You know, it's a, it's a, to me, I kind of go on the principle that it's like the right style at the right time with the right person. Like it's a triangulation deal. Oh, absolutely. Oh, you know, if you can't hit that mark, if you're missing one leg of that, you're missing leadership. And Jeff, you just nailed it too, man. And that's what people don't understand is, you know, we used to call it the four factors of leadership. So leader led communication situation. And those four factors, this is kind of like 1980 leadership manual stuff. Right. But, you know, initially those were words. But if you understand that every leadership situation is about the leader, the led, the situation, you know, how much time do you have available in the communication? How do you drive that home? I, when I was a brigade CSM, I had six subordinate, and I say subordinate, battalion level sergeant majors that I work with. So after a JRTC rotation, uh, sergeant major of the army retired Bill Gates did a 360. So that was all the, the, you know, battalion CSMs writing me. And he said, I have never seen the rating that you got. He said, all these six battalion CSMs absolutely love you. And I said, well, that's because I lie to them all. And <laughs> exactly. he looked at me and he goes, what? And I said, they're all different. 
I said, so Joe Montour, if I say go left, he's going to say go right. And I shouldn't have used his name. Joe's a great, great friend. With those six people, I couldn't approach them the same way because I wouldn't get the desired effects. Don't get me wrong. We could sit in meetings and I made it quite clear at the beginning as we were trying to support our commanders um, that it's all right to disagree. Matter of fact, I encourage the dialogue. Um, and during that entire, you know, my stint, almost three years, is uh, I never had an issue with any of those people. I think one time one of them kind of sort of got out of line, but not really, maybe. Yeah. Uh, but I never had an issue. But it was about understanding the lead. You know, as I said, leader-led situation communication. In that case, it was the lead and it was the communication or the technique, mm-hmm. you know. How do I drive these people? You know, some I used to have to say, hey, Mike, you remember when you told me about this and what a great idea this would be? And he would go, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd walk away. Well, he never said that, right? That was me planning something in his head saying, hey, man, this was somewhat your idea. And so I had to use these varying techniques in order to get results. Now, some people should say, you know, or would say, well, you could just tell them because your boss outranked their boss. Well, that's a pretty stupid thing, right? We're all E9s. And I remember watching berate the battalion CSMs. And I always thought that technique, man, there's got to be a better way for a bunch of E9s. I got it. My boss outranks your boss. Um, But boy, that doesn't hold up. I'll tell you factually, because one of those people will call call you out on it. So you gotta, you know, you gotta understand leadership. And then the other thing, Jeff, I would add is, is because it worked last time doesn't mean it's gonna work in the future. One hundred percent. So, so you know, it's like facts and assumptions. Um, you cannot believe that facts remain facts. And as you try to verify kind of assumptions when it comes to leadership that the, you know, four factors of leadership again, that the situation, which is really the environment, um, remains the same. So you have to constantly be reassessing the environment, the people, um, to determine what what is the best technique. Yeah, we just had uh, a good friend of mine, she's become a a really good friend, Cherie Alexander on the uh, on the podcast and she is Chris she is the master of influence like she is good yeah and yeah. you know we had this whole conversation which was phenomenal about like the three fundamental principles she teaches observe connect influence and 85 percent of it is spent in observation and connection right in yeah. building rapport and connecting with your people and actually understanding what's driving them where their values and beliefs exist right what they what their emotional triggers are that the depths of things with them and if you do that well if you just simply observe and connect well as a leader you know yeah. you don't you don't really have sometimes you're gonna have to get to the influence part because people are you know that's that buy-in it's that unspoken trust that becomes established when you actually spend the time to know somebody right because we just want to be but- seen and heard but you, yeah, but you have to, to your point, and I absolutely agree. The hardest one of those isn't to influence; it's to connect. Yes, because <laughs> there's there's generational diversity. There's uh, you know there's a multitude of of 
you know, variables or factors that can get in the way or become uh, a distractor to learning. Oh yeah, she she point blank called it out. She said she said you got to leave your ego. You got to like, you know, set your leave your ego in the squad car, blow it into a balloon and tie it to your. You can bring it back, but I think here's the point. I think you'll like this. Is the mission more important than your ego? Yeah. And if so, you got to set it aside to complete the mission. Yeah. Absolutely. But some people, listen, you can be the smartest guy or gal in the world. All right. I used to do these off sites, and I remember, you know, one time General Oates, a tremendous leader, by the way. So he was the commanding general of 10th Mountain Division. We did this off-site in Lake Placid, New York, where they bring up senior leaders and they call in, you know, experts in the, you know, the art and science of leadership. Mm-hmm. And after it was over, uh, he asked me, hey, what do you think? And I said, I had a real problem with this. I said, because I'm sure this guy has intellect, you know, over the top. I mean, he's certainly a PhD, been published several times, but the art of leadership and the ability to truly to observe, connect, and influence, man, that's more than writing a book. And people without personalities, that connection part, listen, you you could be that you could be the smartest dude or dudette in the world. But if you ain't got a personality, yep. brother, good luck. <laughs> you know, let me know how that works out for you. And unfortunately, some people don't view it that way. Yeah. They, they, think it is about intellect and it is about you know so is the is the army defined or or the profession of arms across dod was men and women of character competence and commitment well i'm really worried about the character and the commitment and that's organizational commitment that's commitment to your brothers and sisters who are part of the team you know the competence piece i'm not going to teach you that that's depending upon the trade you know, let's use the National Football League. I, I can teach the players not to beat their wives, or, or at least I can attempt to not get DUIs and off in all these off the field incidences that you see. Well, I honestly believe I can make a difference. Now, when it comes to competence for an NFL football player, I'm not going to make you run faster. I'm not going to make you catch better. I'm not going to make you throw the ball better, uh, block better. Um, but you know what? I don't think that's what it's about. I, I think a cohesive team, what wins championships are people believing in one another. It's like a four-man stack and knowing where the number one man's going, number two man, three man, four man, and you never have to be concerned because you trust them. Yep. Um, so, anywho, man, I, I just, uh, yeah, I, I am a huge, huge believer in uh, personality. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I did ALX, the Army Leadership Exchange, and I was talking about, you know, when I first came in the Army, I, I kind of determined that there was four type of leaders, you know, and it's kind of D1 through D4, and the first one is somebody who has a personality, and uh, but he's not competent, right? And dude two is competent, uh, but doesn't have a personality, and dude three is um, neither, you know, right. That idiot's just dangerous. And the rarest of all was, you know, we used to define it as the referent form of power. And that was people wanting to be like you. 
And that's people with a personality who are also competent as hell at what they do. Um, but that's a rare person, man. It Much is. rarer than most people believe. I mean, it, so. it truly is. At, at 100% is. And as you get to know people, I mean, we all screw up and we all make mistakes. And I've fallen on that's my a- face more than I can count. Um, you know, but at the same time, I think when I look to people that I admire, they are not people that let me down or they, I mean, they will let me down. They fail. They don't, you know, they screw up, but they're always learning, right? They're yes. always willing to say, wow, I really fucked that up. And, you know, and, and this is what I learned from it. Um, and the other, the other thing Paul Tulin said the other day was, you know, he likes to understand, uh, what he say? He said, he said, he, you know, he leads with a willingness to put yourself at risk as a leader. Right. To, yeah. to really, you know, put yourself at risk and and take risks to kind of begin to build that chain of trust with your people appropriately, of course. Right. We're not talking yeah. about crazy stuff, but yeah. uh, but I think it goes, you know, I mean, I, trusting trusting each other is huge and trusting your leader is is necessary for success. And, and yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. And this this idea about um you know, genuine humility, genuine in your care and concern of your employees. So how, how many times did you have a leader that you knew he or she genuinely cared about you? I mean, in that brother, when you got that, you don't want to let that person down. So, you know, you're as much invested. I remember one time doing an uh-oh at 275 and I had to have a conversation with the battalion CSM and he was like, you know, I'm disappointed. I'd have rather been punched in the face, man. I mean, you know, to the point of it was like, wow, man. And I walked away just, you know, my head dragging and uh, um, because nobody wanted to let this guy down. Well, how do you become that guy or gal? How do you become that leader organizationally? And it can be several levels up that people are still looking at when they walk into the office every day um, or into the factory floor or into the police department or the fire station or the, you know, wherever it is, that people go, wow, I just something about the way he or she carries themselves, their communication skills, and by the way, their ability to connect yep. because people think they're genuine. We both know, listen, Younger people can pick out who's uh, FOS, so full of yep. you know, shite. Oh, you could say it on here. Uh, yeah, you could. Yeah, you could full of shit. Yeah. And and honestly, um, you know, damn dude. Um, and the, you know, you you can think that you've masked it, and somehow you're smarter. And they really, oh, dude. I I, I can tell you more times that that you know, younger kids just said that that guy or gal just doesn't care. I mean, genuinely, yeah. they're more concerned about getting a promotion and how they get ahead and, you know, their next job or the next job at that. And they're willing to throw people under the bus and you, um, how many people genuinely know the families of their employees? Yeah. You know, who sends out, who sends out birthday cards? Wow. If you do that or an anniversary card, if you have a database that just has that, I mean, a car doesn't cost that much money, right? Yeah. So what do you get? What is the return on your investment when that takes place? I would argue, Jeff, it's huge. Yeah. And simple little tech 
techniques like that that I care not only about you but your family as well because you're here to provide for them. Um, that's powerful, man. That's a powerful message. Yeah, I, so, I think we've I think you know we've lost that in some ways. Like this this idea of of how to how to care about our people in a unique way and you know and, and we feel like oh we're too busy or that just takes too much time or this or that or i've got 50 employees i don't care you know take a day yeah. block out an hour write your That's cards right. do what you need to do because you know and then and then the, the the interesting thing is you'll hear the same complaints that you know from the leadership side that you know i can't get my people to do x y and z or you know they're just yeah. looking for their bonus if you're in the corporate world or you know they want yeah. this or that or what they know what they really want is to know you care and that you recognize that they're out there busting their butt for you too right that they're absolutely they're trying absolutely. to do something um you know and when it comes to the services you I mean these guys are you know picking up extra shifts and taking care of things and mm-hmm. i mean i had some great leadership in the firehouse it, it, i really that's one spot that i'm so thankful because i had I was around and developed by leaders in the fire service who did care, who did old yeah. school guys, old school, yeah. gritty firemen who yeah. would kick you in the ass and ask you how your mom was doing. Right. At yeah. the same time, you yeah. have a young kid at the time. Yeah. Right. And they would and they cared. And it and it really set out me on a course, I think, to understand something at a different level. And so, yeah, you're right. I mean, if you're we're not doing that, uh, taking two minutes stopping asking yeah. somebody how they're doing yeah. what was who was the colonel at at third brigade who was the the turned down his one star he jumped he had like he was the only guy with two mustard stains at the time you know one of the few guys in the army because he jumped at oh, 173 I think, was, I think it was clyde newman yes yes clyde newman, i mean yeah. that guy would you would walk by that guy would stop i mean i can remember this i mean i didn't know him well but I, he stopped me. I probably he's probably stopped me five times just walking down the, the sidewalk, and he would just say, "How you doing? What's going on? Yeah. You know, and yeah. tell me something." And so, uh, I I remember that distinctly, and I just from my, you know you got to think whatever I was spec four at the time. I mean, I'm like, holy shit! I got a colonel stopping and asking me how I'm doing today. Uh, but those little things, man, that that you leave an impression that yeah. that you can't earn any other way yeah yeah jeff what what how hard is it and you know we both understand that you know man hours or or you know people taking ta- time off you know people don't like it but but think about this you know i used to walk up and down formations and if a soldier looked good that day i'd say hey man congratulations you have the day off yeah and everybody would be like, what? What do you mean? So, you know, if you got that employee who is just kicking butt and I got it, it's a day and I got it. Maybe somebody else has to cover down for their work or shift or whatever. But how hard is it for an organization to say, hey, you know, for the organizational leader or manager to say, hey, attention, everybody around me. Hey, I want to recognize Pete over here. Um, you know, he's been busted his butt. Here's his, um, you know, here's how he has been uh, producing for the organization. Pete, do me a favor. Just go ahead and go home right now. What, what, do, you, what do you mean? Just go home. Don't worry about it. Come back, you know, tomorrow's your next shift. And to get people to clap for Pete, 
because Pete's busting his butt yeah. for Pete to co- come home a little bit early and maybe spend time with the kids or whatever it might be. Um, and certainly because what is truly important to people is time and money, right? 100%. So, you know, so that is a time factor uh, that maybe, you know, Pete can go home and do other things. And I, again, I, listen, man, I throw that out there as a technique. Well, they're just little things. They are, they are, they are the little things that go so far. You know what I mean? Like the, the, the maximum effective range of just that move is huge, right? I yeah. mean, it is enormous for people because we don't do it. And, and yeah, that's, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's where resentment builds and frustration builds and exhaustion builds and all those underlying human behavior traits that I like to geek out on, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, that start to surface when we're not doing those things as leaders, when we're not spending time with our people. I mean, go out of the office, go for a ride along, go get in the car. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I always yeah. swore if I ever stayed in the military, it became like, you know, Regimental Sergeant Major or Division Sergeant Major one day, I always joked and said, you know, I'd just pick up the phone in the morning and be like, hey, this is our Major Bandman. I'm going to be down there about 12 o'clock. <laughs> just freak everybody out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Have, oh, yeah. Have the cleanest oh, yeah. area around. You know, but, but yeah. you know, I would never do something like that. I would, what I would prefer to do is like just show up quietly and like, I don't care what state it's in. Don't clean stuff up. Don't make it pretty for me. Let's Brother, see how it I is. Do. Brother, I used to do that all the time. Yeah. I wanted to see the organization as it was. And by the way, it wasn't uh, it wasn't to punch somebody in the throat, no. man, ever. It was to simply say, hey, here's some observations. And I, and I believe, you know, first sergeant or whoever I was engaging, uh, company commanders, hey, I think, you know, this might be smarter and here's the reason why. But there always had to have been, you know, LG taught me the reason behind something. Yeah. You know, why why do you need to move these two weapon systems? Because two oh three covers dead space, Sergeant Major, and a two four nine avenues of approach, right? And, and then he would say, Let your conscience be your guide. He didn't say, Now change it or do it. Yeah. He was putting it back in your court to say, Hey Ranger buddy, you know, and, and it was just you know, it's just his approach, man. Well, Jeff, and that's a that's another under underlying thing that I love. It's like when you can nobody really learns by us telling them anything. You know what yeah. I mean? They learn when they begin yeah. to figure it out on their own. And when you can empower somebody to be great, you know, I always say exceptional leadership is the ability to empower your people to be exceptional, right? To let them be yeah. awesome yeah. and amazing at who they are and what they do. And, yeah. and doing little things like that, hey, let your conscience be your guide. Like it, it gives them the ability to make their own choice and experience yeah. their own stuff, no. right, wrong, or indifferent. We'll figure it out later. We, so, so in the military, right, we came up with this term, uh, disciplined initiative, not initiative, right? So you're supposed to empower and allow people to think. You know, when you came in in the Army and when I came in the Army, you didn't think, you just acted. It was called a battle drill, right? So you would suppress at the 3 o'clock, 6 o'clock nine o'clock 12 o'clock known likely and suspected enemy locations without thought well post 9 11 dude what we figured out was that would cause civilian casualties right yep. because the taliban man and others uh were intermingling with the local civilian population and and by the way killing local nationals is a bad thing right yep. so we had to get our young men and women to think right so we're in an army now we're we're you know, disciplined initiative, not just initiative, because the discipline piece is your training, education, and experience, 
uh, both personally and professionally, how that kind of comes together to create that discipline piece. So it's just not some something you pull out of your ass. You know, that's called what you believe is initiative. And then, oh, by the way, you, you have to have a, uh, not have a zero defect organization where you crush somebody when they attempt to think. Mm-hmm. If you do that, everybody else that's looking around says, you know what? It doesn't pay to think in this organization. So you're not going to get creative thinkers and critical thinkers in organizations when you crush initiatives. So, you know, it's this balancing act. And I love the direction and how the Army defines that. Now, trying to teach it to a bunch of people is really hard because they hear words and it's it's like the gender integration piece where people are like, oh, you guys suck now. You suck. You know, uh, you know, it's not hard like when I was in and it's like, brother, trust me when I tell you. OK, so I was a very senior guy and I'm not a dummy and I'm not a, anybody who knows me to tell you I'm not a politician. Um, I will tell you that the military is so much better than everybody believes. And it was, and it is being led by general officers that, frankly, I would give my only son and daughter to because I trust them that much, right? So the profession of arms starts with trust with the American people because they're our customer, right? right? Across the Department of Defense, ultimately, they work for people, you know, the civilians. Um, so you've got to be able to trust them and safeguard their son or daughter to the best of your ability. Now, listen, when the Taliban, Taliban man or, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda or Jais al-Mahdi or these other violent extremist organizations uh, came into play, and you know, there's that. But if it's preventable, I used to have a problem with preventable accidents and death because in most cases, people are failing to follow some policy sure you know i mean i had some negative my first death when i was in iraq as a brigade sergeant major was a kid named austin pratt who was killed by his best friend playing with a nine mil inside his room this was in the scalp platoon yeah. right you think that this kid or this nco excuse me knew better than to play around and start jacking and pointing and everything we teach about muzzle orientation and safeties and this and that and everything. He violated every single one of them. And as a result, you know, Austin Pratt goes six feet under. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, listen, as a parent, brother, that just, man, it just breaks my heart when I hear stuff like that, man. So, that that's sometimes you know that's what you got policies and procedures in place and uh, tactics techniques and procedures TTPs and all the rest of this other stuff but uh, you know you just get, there's got to be a why behind it. yeah you know, there, people, it's got to yeah. be it's got to be groomed and cultivated otherwise like you said earlier just kind of words on paper and, absolutely and words on paper don't matter it goes back to the creed you know we always we you recite it you know it you can do it but but there there will but, come a point later. Where you actually go, oh, Jeff. But when you first came in, as well, and I know this factually, there wasn't. You weren't allowed to ask why. No, Sergeant. Why are we doing, <laughs> Sergeant? Why? Listen, I am an absolute huge fan of why, because it better explains how people fit into the bigger picture organizationally. 
So you shouldn't be offended by the question of why, you know, and then get all butthurt and say, hey, it's none of your business, whatever. You just do what I say. Come on. You got to be kidding, man. Young men and women just want to know why they are value added to the organization and why they're important. And in most cases, if you explain the why behind most decisions that are made, oh, the people just go, wow, I, I didn't know I that. I didn't realize that. Yeah, the why, the, that, the why, the question of why is an opportunity to lead. It's an opportunity to connect. It, you know, answering that question, that, that, if that emerges, if you're a leader out there and your people say why, like yeah. that, the red flags ought to go up and you ought to thank the heavens because you yeah. now yeah. have a real opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. To connect. To really. Yeah. To, yeah. Man, that's yeah. like that's like gold as a leader right there. I love it. And I think I think that's where, you know, I always kind of classify myself as like a bridge generation because I'm not quite. I'm not quite in the in the Gen Xers or whatever where I am yeah. or the millennials or where I don't know where I fall, yeah. but yeah. you know I grew up with really old school, grinded out, you know, <laughs> dirty firemen guys that like you know, sit in their pores forever, and yeah. you know and that continued for time and I've been around a lot of retired people. I mean, my time at the agency in our office with a lot of retired people uh, who were phenomenal. So I feel like I've gotten this deep deep old school kind of do it this way stuff. But what there, what I really found was they would, they were also more willing to explain why to the best of their ability. Uh, you know, I've even seen that on the movies, you know, and the, you know, so fire movies and I think backdraft and whatever yeah. is they're trying to teach the younger firefighters out there, the why from a safety perspective that you don't just open the door because of a potential backdraft or whatever it might be. Um, We're just late to the game. And I say we're, Department of Defense is. But, you know, what I've been doing, Jeff, is so not only with fifth principle, because fifth principle, the common sense piece, is really what I did for 32 years in the Army. It's a collective group of people. And by the way, those dudes and hopefully do that pretty quick that are part of the collective team called fifth principle. Jeff, they're brilliant. I bet these guys, these guys are thinkers, man. They're just, and they will gladly give you the why behind, you know, the reason why in this particular vignette, they choose to go down this path versus this path or why you should turn left versus right. And, and, and by the way, have a discussion. Yeah, I'm a fan of having a discussion. Let's discuss this, man. You know, because I like to to sit down. You always learn in those discussions. You learn the way people are thinking. It's an opportunity to connect. You know, the hardest one. Um, yeah. So I am a huge, huge fan of all that stuff. So anyway, team team fifth principle as I expand. Um, you know, I've been doing a lot of work across Department of Defense. Um, you know, Army War College and some other places, and I do a lot of public speaking. Um, but I want to get into, you know, the civilian sector. Yeah. College is like, interestingly, I just had Lieutenant reti- Lieutenant General retired uh, P.K. King. He works at a business school up and around Atlanta. He's a dean dean of leadership development, and you know, he was asking me at the regimental change of command, hey, I've been following you, you know, across your social media platforms. I really want you to come up and engage the students. 
um, because although I'm an old dude, um, you know, I'm somebody who I don't think I'm stuck in my past. I'm constantly revalidating uh, what I've done in the past. Is it still would it be effective? And if not, how do I tweak? you know, and better myself. I mean, I'm going back to school, Jeff. Listen, training, education, and experience defines us all. Every single person, training, education, and experiences, both personally and professionally, define every single person that's out there. Well, you know, I've got plenty of training, uh, you know, throughout 31 plus years in the military. I've got plenty of experience, you know, on the job, but, you know, just possessing an undergraduate degree um, probably isn't good enough. Yeah. So, you know, being a lifelong learner, I'm going back to, to Norwich to pursue my master's degree. Nice. Uh, it's here pretty quick. Why? Because it's an opportunity uh, to continue to throw out thoughts of ideas, but simultaneously uh, get thoughts and ideas from others. Um, because listen, I know I'm not always right, dude. I mean, there's much smarter people than me out there in the world, right? So h- how do you leverage them um, to collectively figure out what the right answer is? Not Chris Greca's way, but the best way. And those are not the same. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, uh, I'm going to go to back to two points real quick. One, if you weren't that way, I wouldn't have you on the podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, so let's just, you know, thanks. Uh, thanks. That's probably why we had trouble connecting in the beginning. Right. Cause you had to work your shit out and then, you know, mm-hmm. get, set all that stuff aside and, and come, yeah. come, come to the show where you go. No, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why I asked you. Cause I mean, I understand that growth and that willingness to continue to grow is so critical. Uh, but I want to kind of jump back just for a second because you yep. know you were talking about talking about the time taking the time to explain why and what that does and we kind of went through all of that but here's here's kind of the the other side of the coin that I believe you get when you take that time when that time's available right when cuz that can't always be done yeah those situations yep. go back to the leader led situation cause sometimes you just don't have the time available well, so and and or the you know the situation dictates otherwise and here's what I have found the more the more you answer the why in the right context, the easier it is to drive people into action when it matters. You know what I mean? Yes. Like they will, yes. they don't, they don't need to question you there. If you take the time over here in this bucket, when yeah. when the shit's on, they're just actioning. They're they're yes. they're Roger that so, move out. You know, draw fire, execute, almost at every turn. Jeff, and to that point. See, they shouldn't even have to ask the why. When yeah. you put out a task, that, that why, you know, should be out there, man. I mean, it's, yeah, it, it's information yeah. dump, right? So, you know, we, in the military, you know, Jeff, we had, you know, priority information requirements, right? And we came up with this saying that every soldier or, you know, man or woman is a sensor. Well, they only can sense if they know what the hell they're supposed to be sensing. And the problem is people weren't giving them the information. So they they were just wandering around, you know, whether it was Iraq or Afghanistan. So these PIRs, you know, what could have been critical out there to the understanding. We never even told the men and women, hey, you're going out, but here's the why. You're looking for potentially this, 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 and this, which would help us at the higher echelon start to do the things that we needed to do uh, to support the fight. So, 
you know, I mean, listen, man, when I was a private in the army, dude, my first duty assignment was Korea. I simply followed the dude in front of me for 365 days. (laughs) I never had a clue. I had never heard of an operations order until I got uh, Second Ranger Battalion. Now, listen, I, I had tremendous role models and leaders, but in their doing what they were used to doing in previous organizations or the way they were taught and trained yes. from the ones before them. Um, because I had a tremendous platoon leader. Uh, Colonel retired Randy White was just phenomenal from, from being that guy I wanted to be like. Mm. Uh, but, you know, they just didn't know. So they never taught me and they never taught everybody else. And by the way, if something would have happened, we wouldn't have had a clue where we were supposed to go or what <laughs> Right. That leadership had its head cut off, brother, out there flapping, man, yeah. would have been risk wrecking the rest of the crew. So um, it's kind of important for uh, organizational effectiveness that you explain the why um, in for people to understand, okay, if uh, Pete doesn't come to work today, you know, who's stepping up and going to fulfill, if needed, that role and or function, man. And by the way, that's part of like leader development or yeah. uh, employee development, um, training, education, and experience. Yeah. And how do we invest? And if you do that, listen, you're going to have less turnover, all the, you know, because people will enjoy the environment and the climate that's been established internal to that organization. Um, they will feel like they're cared about. There's upward growth possibilities, um, you know, all of it. And therefore, less turnover means less dollars having to be thrown into new employees and the training and the man hours wasted. Um, and potentially, if you're in a business that sells stuff, you know, employee theft, people calling in sick to work, um, all that stuff, you know, the climate and the why and the, everything we've discussed over the last hour plus um, plays a role on that. 100%. I mean, I think it's it's definitely it is such a such a simple and significant thing you do as a leader, right? I mean, that's just so I love it. I love the conversation. But Jeff, it's it, listen, man, anybody can do it because yeah. to to your point, listen, I'm a dummy, right? So the smartest things I've ever heard, Jeff, are the most simplistic. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot, move, and communicate is what's important. When I was a staff sergeant or even, you know, platoon sergeant, your platoon sergeant, I would have said, no, that's not the case, man. It's much more complex when it comes to battle, blah, blah, blah. You know what? Everything in the Army revolves around shoot, move, and communicate. <laughs> and I was told that, you know, so in the smartest things I've ever heard are not these intellectual, you know, stuff. It is the most simplistic stuff that everybody in the room goes, hey, we already knew that. And then you see everybody writing it on a piece of paper. Yeah. Because it's so simplistic that you overlook the simplicity and the most brilliant things are simple. Yeah, I had a a quick story. And I've said this, I think, before on the podcast. So, you know, but I think it's always worth restating because I love this. So at 17, I'm sitting in a firehouse mentor of mine al dutton and just so you know al dutton's uh like the grittiest of gritty went goes to work for dc fire department 1974 you know the guys by the time i come along guys been to thousands of fires right uh 
And he told me one day, and he's just a short little guy, phenomenal human being, amazing fireman, fireman's fireman. And he said to me one day, he said, Jeff, there's really just kind of three rules to this thing. I said, okay. He said, listen, rule one, if it's not on fire, it's not a big deal. And I kind of thought for a second. I'm like, you know, you're right. We get spun up over little things, right? Not on fire is not a big deal. Rule two, if it is on fire and we do our job, it'll go out. Hmm. And I thought, yeah. True. Very true. And he said, rule three, if it is on fire and we did our job and it doesn't go out, it wasn't going to go out anyway. Yeah. And I yeah. and that that has been that's been a piece I've applied to my life in like a gazillion ways. Cause, Absolutely. Because the reality is, you know, the the critical part there is if we do our job, right? If we just do our job, if we just follow mm-hmm. follow suit, do what we need to do and don't get sidetracked, we do our job, the fire will go out and if it doesn't go out, well, then it was it was wasn't gonna go out anyway. And I will tell you that is true because I have experienced many a case where you know, the, the house was already, you know, going to be on the ground before we even got there. Uh, yes. You know, nothing we could have done to prevent it or change the outcome of that. It was going to go that way. Uh, and then, you know, the ability to learn from that, not from necessarily did we do, did we make a mistake here, but did some shit's out of our control. And, yes. Uh, yeah. Well, I think that's important, Jeff, because it, in as you're saying, the application to everything we do is, you know, if I was to put that in different terms, I would say, hey, don't spin over the things you can't control. Yep. So there's there's variables and factors out there that you can do everything within your power to attempt to mitigate risk and do things that, you know, we as leaders do. And ultimately, you're not still not going to get the desired outcome. But don't spin over it. I've known more leaders that are spinners. And the only thing they do is is create problems for the organization. So as they start spinning, aka spazzing, yep. uh, you know, it is not healthy. It does nothing. Uh, they're almost out of control. And you know, because you have these organizational leaders that don't understand, hey, if you attempted and did everything right to put out the fire, it's not going to go out. Hey, if you did everything uh, within your power, yet you still don't get the desired effects. Hey man, you only can do what you can do. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Yeah. but you, there's a lot of people that don't understand and they'll, they'll cuss out their employees and blame others and swear that, you know, uh, you know, it goes back to, it was a buzzword in the military, this whole toxic leader idea. But let me tell you something, man, I was out at the combined arms center out of Fort Leavenworth working for the Center for Army Leadership. I was the uh, CAC CSM, so I worked for Dave Perkins, who became uh, the TRADOC commander. He was a three-star at the time. One of the most simplistically brilliant dudes I've ever been around in my life. Uh, But we used to have these discussions all the time about, you know, doing what you can do and then, you know, toxic leaders. Brother, I've worked for when I say I've worked for him, I've seen firsthand the effects of, to the morale of the organization. And in terms of trying to create that desired effect, they crush everybody. Mm-hmm. And the morale is to the point where, you know, like a Jeff Bandman, they, they get out of the organization. It doesn't have to be the United States Army, it could be Amazon, sure. right? And people will just walk 
if the leaders, if their supervisor are spaz men or women that don't understand, hey, man, we're giving 110 percent and then some down here. But, you know, it weren't, you know, for whatever reason, the number of boxes that you have as a goal didn't go out today. Well, hey, man, if you gave 100 percent, that's all you can do. Right. So you just back up, regroup. Um, and figure out how you can get to that desired end state. So, um, yeah, we're right. we're on the same sheet of music. Yeah, and it's a it's a constant dynamic change. So I I love it. So Chris, you know what uh, what do you got for us as we as we begin to wrap stuff up today? Well, Jeff, first of all, I I appreciate you having me on, man. Um, I, I honestly can say, man, I've appreciated this conversation. It's refreshing to know that. Um, you know, we've got podcasts like this and hopefully, you know, we've got an audience, you've got an audience out there that sits back and says, hey, there's a nugget I can take away from this. You know, there's something that I can apply each and every day. Hey, I would encourage uh, people, uh, if you're interested in what I've had to say is to visit uh, my organization, Fifth Principle Common Sense at www.fifthprinciple.net. Um, I'll say that again, fifthprinciple.net, so it's not a .com. And you can see what my organization is about in terms of uh, team building, big building individuals of character uh, who are committed to one another. I use a, a slogan of building cohesive teams one individual at a time, right? So, And that's the idea is every person is important. How do you make them feel important? How do you do your job as a leader and develop them um, properly? And lastly, Jeff, um, is listen, I'm a veterans advocate and, and I do a lot of things about emotional numbness because it affected me and my family. And, and frankly, I didn't realize it until I had been in 30 plus years. And I didn't realize that, you know, that switch of having an emotion kind of went off. And when my father passed away, who I was extremely close to, I didn't shed a tear, right? But I didn't realize that was normal, but it was it was a great uh, kind of trait or attribute to have in the military because as you lose people, you don't want to feel every time somebody dies, right? So if you can flip the, you know, light switch off and, and you know, hey, this is about the profession of arms, unfortunately it's violent and people die, well, that's something you say, but it's pretty shitty when you get back home and you try to flip that emotional light switch back on and it doesn't go on. Um, so I would just tell the veterans out there, man, to look out for one another, look out for your battle buddies. Um, it's okay to seek help, you know, uh, you know, go through, if you're a veteran through the VA and or through civilian healthcare providers to get the help that you need because you know, what's still an ugly word is a PTSD, but it's depression and they're oftentimes related. Yeah. Um, yeah. And finally, Jeff, as a veterans advocate, I am I sit on the board of directors for a great group out there and it's called the Regroup Foundation. They can be found both on Facebook and through their website. And it's an idea of having homes for our homeless population of veterans. And right now they're working on a ranch out in New Bronzeville, uh, Texas. Tony Ruiz and Stephanie Sultan, they're engaged, thank goodness, because that's gonna keep Tony where he needs to be. She's the best thing in his life, trust me. Um, but you got great organizations out there that are trying to help people. 
and I would encourage all your listeners out there to get on this website and look, you know, and donate if you, you know, if, if you possibly can. Um, you give a little bit and I promise you the return on investment is going to be um, taking care of veterans who, you know, serve the American people, our customer, and now they're potentially homeless. Um, and I just think it's shameful. So, Jeff, in closing, man, thanks for having me on here, brother. Let's please do this again. And if you're ever in my neck of the woods or vice versa, man, we have to link up and get a drink um, and share, you know, war stories about. All right. So that's your episode today. Command Sergeant Major Christopher Greca. I hope you really enjoyed it. Took something from it. What a great look back at a 31-year career of service. Uh, feel free, listen, do me a favor, swing by opmindset.com backslash mindset radio. Check the show notes. All the links to Chris will be up there uh, with a few other extra goodies from Fifth Principle. Uh, I know Chris has really got a huge space in his heart and a commitment around veterans and leadership today. So feel free to check it out. Listen, Next week, we go to an entire new format. I'm really looking forward to it. Some real exciting changes. I'll explain more to you on Monday's episode, but we're going to get down to it, and we're going to start moving this podcast in a direction and how you become and stay operational. So look for us next week. Tune in Monday. Have a great rest of your week and an awesome weekend, and I will talk to you soon.